You're listening to the Boss Business of Surgery Series Podcast, Episode 29. Today, we talked to Dr. Ricka Mahorn, who teaches us that life can be hard, but it can also be fabulous. Also, join me June 20th at 6 p.m. Central Time for Navigating an Important Meeting. Find more information at BossSurgery.com. Welcome, surgeons. Residency didn't teach us everything we needed to learn to be a successful surgeon. While we spent our time caring for patients and learning how to operate, we didn't learn how to advocate for ourselves or navigate our career. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Vertries. I'm a general surgeon, certified coach, and founder of the Boss Business of Surgery series. This is where you'll learn those lessons not taught in residency. Hi, welcome back. I have a really special guest. This is Dr. Rika Mahorn. She is a general surgeon and I've known her for, I don't know, at least a year now um, in the same circles we have. And I've been really impressed by all the things that you know she's been through and her wisdom. And so I wanted to invite her on just to give us some insights uh, because I think she has a lot uh, that we can benefit from. Dr. Mahorn, welcome to the show. Thank you, Amy. It's a pleasure to be here. I listen to your podcast and I love it. Oh, I'm so glad. Yes, I think it's really just giving voice to all the experiences that we don't even expect. I think that a lot of times we'll find ourselves in a, in a career path or something, a part of life where we don't know where to go. And I think sharing the stories of people who have been through it will help show the way, come at on the other side better. So tell me a little bit about yourself. So I'm originally from Finland. I came to America as an exchange student in high school and ended up then meeting um, David, whom I married um, later, a couple of years later, when I came back to USA to specifically to get married because we kept dating after I went back to Finland. Long story short, I was married for a long time, decided to go to college, decided to go to medical school um, and, and then uh, surgery. And I did my surgery training at University of Minnesota which was fantastic um, because I went there to become a transplant surgeon because uh, that's what I thought I wanted to do. And then I did the transplant rotation and realized, oh my goodness, this is not for me. And I had this, my very first tiny life crisis of, I came here specifically for this, left my husband behind in Virginia. And what am I going to do with my life? But the training was really good. And I really geared towards really seeing so many different aspects. And I finally realized I want something that has a lot of variety. And that's how I ended up in general surgery. And also at the end, I had a, um, you know, two and a half year old child. Uh, and so when it was time to be done, I was like, okay, I'm done. I cannot do any more training. I just need to start working. That's great. And, you know, there's always the uh, interesting aspect of just a general surgeon. And, you know, I, I'm just a general surgeon myself. And it's really kind of remarkable if you think of all the things that we can do that we have done, and really questioning this idea of just a general surgeon. <laughs> exactly. And I have loved my career. I took a really great job in Virginia after my um, training where I was in a private practice uh, and it was a, a small group. Um, we were general surgery, trauma surgery, and two of my partners were also vascular surgery. Uh, so, and then when I would be on call, I'd cover, you know, of course, one of the ones um, would be doing backup call in case somebody comes with their ruptured aorta or something, but um, I'd round on their patients. So I really felt like I had a great career uh, in seeing all these different kinds of patients and interesting things and, uh, and 
everything from you know colons to gallbladders to melanomas to draining pus which is you know superbly satisfying (laughs) (laughs) exactly no i really um, i was really fascinated to hear your setup of your private practice so you know a lot of people are scared of private practice but you know and there's of course tons of different varieties of of private practice but how was your setup and what were the advantages and disadvantages um, of that setup for you so uh, since that is has been my only experience as a private practice physician um it was, I thought, really fantastically set up because we were all considered equal. So we did not um, base our salary on RVUs or a portion of what you brought in, but we were we basically split the pot evenly. Um, and that was really nice because then there was no competing against each other. Uh, so it was very collaborative uh, in that sense, and everybody worked hard. And and you know some people do different things, and you kind of one of my partners did a lot of colonoscopy and things like that. And I actually am thankful that as the female, I did not have to be the breast girl because I that that was not me. I really liked the abdomen, and so and I loved the trauma, so I really enjoyed doing those aspects. And I used to do a billion central lines, which. It was just fun for me. Um, and we had a great small office um, set up uh, near one of our hospitals. And and initially when I joined, we were in one hospital and later also uh, a new hospital was built. So then we started uh, covering two hospitals, which made it a little bit trickier. Right. Uh, and I thought that was really interesting how you split it all amongst different ways. And Dr. Uh, Jonathan Dort's advice came to mind when it came to the residents of this mentality of keeping it fair is that to always aim to do 60, 40, you know, to everyone each trying to do 60%. And so never feeling that, um, always feeling like you're helping out because some days you'll be the 60, some days you'll be the 40, but really having everyone kind of pitching in, um, anticipating that they're able to give more um, really kind of provides a really supportive environment. It sounds like you really had that. So then how did your life evolve? Um, because clearly that's not the model that you have now. Tell us what happened to cause you to reevaluate your current career. So um, I, I then had um, more children. I have three all together. And my husband was a computer guy. Uh, he worked um, many years in the same company, but uh, eventually transitioned working online from home. And he unfortunately died unexpectedly uh, at age 46 um, by, uh, by drowning. Uh, and that event really changed my entire life, uh, not just for me, but my, for my children as well. Right. And I know that we talked before we started recording, but, you know, at 46 and otherwise not really any identified health problems, you know, I could imagine like nothing was planned and this was, you know, sudden. And so what, what were some of the things that you learned about what you, what had to change in your life? So at that point, um, so initially it was just like the first few months, it was just nothing but chaos. Uh, because again, my, my children at the time were 10, six and one, the last one was just turning four a week later. And so, so it was about the practicalities, like what am I going to do for childcare? Who's going to be there when I'm taking call? How can I even continue my career? Uh, and so, so I, for, was very fortunate that my uh, sister-in-law helped me a lot. Uh, and then my cleaning lady became my nanny. Uh, and 
helped with the children. Uh, and then one of the kids' cousins sometimes would come over and just any, you know, any random people, my, my family, my mother and my two, um, uh, my sister came uh, from uh, Finland and, and, you know, stayed with me for some time and just kind of got us rolling. Um, but it was still very difficult, especially when I went back to work in two weeks after being widowed. Wow. Yeah, that's completely shocking. Um, and, you know, listening um, as a coach, I, as we talked before, uh, it's so interesting, the thoughts that we offer ourselves that get us past. And you had a very clear thought on this, which I'm sure helped you. And that's, it's got to be possible. And were, were you conscious that that was a thought that you were working for? Or is that just kind of the life raft you held on to? So it was really more of a life raft. Uh, I think in hindsight, I can say, okay, that was there. But it was really because like it was this, okay, this I mean, I can't give up on my um, my family, my children. I still was paying student loans. And so so I'm like, okay, so I need to I need to make it happen. Uh, And so so then what I learned was kind of gradually to prioritize the things that are important. But the one thing was because I really, really loved my career. I really loved my patients. I, you know, there's this, like, I, I can't work less mentality. And it was, that took years before I realized I could actually make changes in that regard. Yes. And I think that we all have that in ours, in us as surgeons of, you know, just working hard is something that we're easily able to do. And we love it as time progresses, life gets in the way. And this of course was a sudden way that life showed that it has the reins I do think that a lot of your lessons that you've learned are transferable to people who are newly single mothers from divorced and, you know, lots of different scenarios where a parent finds themselves all alone with kids and a career that they love and how to balance it all. Now with your children, how did they, how did you feel thinking like mom guilt and all too, how did you overcome that? Um, aspect. I basically sometimes overcame it and sometimes I didn't. <laughs> Seems and fair. I, I learned to that mm-hmm. uh, because I learned that, you know, we can do things, but sometimes it just, not everything was possible mm-hmm. uh, in the sense of like, oh, you know, there's this event, there's this event. Oh, I have a school event today, but I have a school event today. I can only go to one. So I try to find other people to go to the other thing or go in between. And it was kind of mentally draining, but, um, but it, is, it is truly possible to kind of try to be somewhat fair. You know, like, like I don't always go to the first one's events. I go, sometimes I go to the second ones or sporting event or, you know, swim practice. And what I did is I, I did put like my kids into swimming. So that was their hobby. So even though they were swimming at different times, there weren't like 50 billion hobbies. And then I had to choose things like, you know, my son unfortunately did not get to play baseball or be in a soccer team because those would have taken too much time. I just had no way of putting him into uh, like, you know, where you have to travel um, because it just wasn't possible with uh, our family lifestyle. And, you know, it was disappointing for him, but it, it he, he was okay with it because he found other things that he loved. And it's about, learning to compromise and my kids learned that kind of early and sometimes it wasn't happy learning but you know we we got there 
I completely agree with all that you said too. I mean, I, I would deploy for months at a time. And, you know, I think that there's this myth that you have to be with your kids a certain period of time, or you have to do all the things, um, you know, we, we write this as a manual that that's how it's supposed to be. And it, it really just isn't. And I think if we kind of release our idea of the idea of the number of activities or the hours in a day we spend with them and are more intentional and compromising, like you say, I think that is reasonable for us to all be happy humans living together. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And and the thing is, I I did try, and we did not always have family meals. I mean, often my kids would eat, and I uh, eat amongst themselves with the all pair because I did get an all pair, which made a huge difference in having somebody there in the uh, evenings when I won't wouldn't be home or if I had to leave early. And that was nice because they can do a split schedule. It was really hard for me to find nanny who was willing to you know come in in the morning and then come again in the afternoon because my kids were in school. Um, and that's why, you know, sometimes if I, if I had had smaller children, I probably would have needed two or three nannies. And so, uh, so that was actually the fortunate thing. And I always thought, you know, that, um, again, you know, I mean, I just have to do it. I'm not going to give up on, uh, you know, what I, what I really love, which was my career, which for some people I'm sure would be okay to stop working. I just, didn't. Uh, and that was the right choice for me. Uh, mm -hmm. And my, my kids have been able to do most of the things they wanted. And they've also, you know, learned some things and such as independence fairly early. And, you know, like my, I mean, my kids have been doing their own laundry since they were, you know, in single digits and, and, and things like that. And, and, but that's also, I think comes partially from coming from Finland where kids just get a lot more independence than they do here in the USA. And so, uh, so that's how my family works. You know, I, I was just coaching with someone um, about a week ago about you know, she had some, some mom guilt and felt like she never spent enough time with her kids. Her kids are now, you know, college age. And one of them, you know, really wants to be a surgeon. And, you know, like if we kind of look at our kids, instead of look at internally what we feel like we're doing wrong. And if we look at our kids, they're actually telling us what we're doing right. And the fact that, you know, if imitation is a sincerest form of flattery, if they want to be like us, we're probably doing something right. <laughs> you're, you're absolutely correct. And the hard part is that you don't often look at it from that angle. You just kind of look at the negative parts or, oh, I'm failing at this. I'm failing at that. But I gradually taught myself to try to look at the small wins instead of looking at the negatives. And somewhere thereafter, I had now I've been widowed uh, since 2014, so it'll be eight years this August. And so somewhere thereafter, about three years or so, I did start realizing that I could also prioritize myself a little bit, which I hadn't really done because, again, it was work, kids, household, work, kids, household prior to that. And that was it. I mean, I was lucky to, you know, get enough sleep. Uh, like sleep was my hobby. And so, so, so then I gradually decided I, I just need to, to do something else. I mean, I can't just have a life where there's nothing being done, where everything is postponed. So, you know, we, we chose to, I enjoy travel. So I'm like, okay, I can travel with my children. Um, I picked up ballroom dancing because I always loved dancing when I was uh, younger in Finland. And, and then I just had given up on that. And so, so that's my hobby now. 
And I loved your um, your thought too about like you know not postponing everything, and because you mentioned that that you guys were the couple that postponed everything, uh, and you know honestly I am the same way too, um, and so. I think this lesson of not postponing things that you really want to do is so important because I think we forget as time goes on, we get older, our parents get older, you know, every, our needs are different over time. Um, and so I thought, you know, not postponing stuff is, uh, is incredibly important. So is that how your career eventually evolved? Um, tell us how, cause I know your job is different than the private practice that was before. Yeah. So what then happened is, as I started prioritizing myself and my children and our, you know, basically our personal lives over my work life, um, I realized that even though I really loved what I did, and even though the, um, my partners were excellent surgeons, I really needed to get into a different type of setting so that I would be more available for my children. Um, and so what I did is then I basically um, took uh, a small sabbatical and and then looked for another job. Um, and I specifically looked for positions in uh, trauma acute care surgery since I had been doing that in my practice, um, even though I'm not you know fellowship trained. Um, but I knew I also did not want to be in a level one trauma center because again, for my family, for my kids, that intensity of work would not be possible. Um, and so, so I looked for level two or level threes where you didn't have to be fellowship trained. And I kind of looked for a job in multiple places. And um, I got fortunate enough to uh, find where I'm now in Georgia and, um, and then um, moved over here to be uh, close to my uh, new job. And that's where it's kind of gone from. I wanted to point out something that um, that I think a lot of people don't realize consciously that really helps. And, you know, when you're looking for a job, you think, well, you know, I'm just looking for a job and things like that. And the, but you were very clear on what you wanted that job to look like. And I think that that really speaks to your success in finding what you want, because you're very clear on what you want. You know, I don't want a level one. I want the intensity work not to be too much. I still want it to be a challenge you know, and I want it to be the right fit for myself and my family. Um, and the fact that you were settled on one and you had a couple different to choose from and chose the right one was really just the clarity that, uh, that you had of what you wanted, which I think a lot of people don't consciously cultivate. Uh, yes. And it, it took a while. Um, I had, when I had started prioritizing my life for myself before that, I really had started learning what I was, I'm a list maker. So I started making lists of like, if my life was exactly what I want, what would it have? And like from everything from, you know, career, from my, how my children would do, which of course you can't control that, but, uh, but, uh, or like, again, like the hobbies or like the, the, my friends, what we do and things like that. So for the job, I li literally listed everything, you know, like if there was an ideal job, which you know, there's no such thing, but I, I, I listed all the things that I wanted and then I prioritized and I really kind of honed in on about four things that I need to have so that, uh, so that I know I can be, you know, successful and I, I, I can enjoy this work. Uh, because again, I no longer want to work somewhere if I'm not enjoying what I'm doing. Right. And so I know that the, your job allows you to have, I think is working every other week. Is that right? Yes. 
Uh, and that was actually one of the very specific criteria I was looking was what kind of schedule is there? I wanted to increase my time off. Mm -hmm. um, and so, um, uh, so this was one of the big draws for this. And, and in my weeks when I work, I work hard and I work long hours, but because we do 12 hour shifts, but even then it's not 24 hour shifts. Like, this is just amazing to me. Like, I feel like I'm working part-time all the time. <laughs> so, um, so it's be, and when you're there, it's just fun. And I enjoy the patients and I enjoy the operating room. And, and the nice part is that when you're not there, you don't have to think about it because your partners take care of the patients. Mm -hmm. And so, so I'm hospital employed now. Um, and I also looked for that or private. I was open to either one. It was just a matter of having the right kind of schedule because the schedule was my number one thing I was looking for. Oh, we talked about this before too, about the, you know, the laughability of the eight hour work week, but like it's only 80 hours for getting as a full-time, two full-time jobs. And with the intensity of work, it's like two and a half jobs. And for us to kind of, oh, only 12 hours, it's like so much easier. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because uh, you know, sometimes people don't realize like, yes, I, you know, we show up at 6 a.m. and we are still there at 6 p.m. Uh, and, and technically, you know, it's not, I mean, it's shift work, but it's not shift work because if I'm in the operating room at six, I don't clock out and leave. I, I do my case until it's done or have to sign out patients to my partners who are on or for night or vice versa. And I actually work a fair bit of nights because I enjoy that myself. Uh, and so, but yes, uh, it is, it's not the European model where physicians also work 35 to, you know, 40 hours a week or less. Interesting. No, I, I thought it was also fascinating. Um, your evolution of like, now I've got all this time off. I've got to fill it with something. <laughs> exactly. So what happened then is now I'm in my new job and I have all these, all these, like every other week completely off and my kids are in school. So house is empty. There's me and the dog. So what am I going to do? And I'm like, well, I'm not, I'm sorry. I'm not, you know, I'm not a very housebound person. And I, I really, I don't love cleaning my house and, and things like that. And, and I'm not a gardener because I, I know a lot of people derive a lot of pleasure gardening. And so, so I need a low maintenance house and which my house is still a mess, but we're working on it. Uh, and we've been here a year and a half. And so, uh, so well, maybe a little over actually. And so, it, but it's getting there. So then I, I did online classes and this was of course in the middle of COVID because also when I moved, I basically bought my house sight unseen except online. I didn't even know until I showed up here that my house was on a hill. I thought it was on a flat. <laughs> wow. And, yeah. And so, but I, I just couldn't go, you know, travel to look at it during COVID. I, you know, it was a suitable house. I bought it. Um, and so, but basically I did online classes in different things uh, through physician groups. And I was fortunate enough to um, find the Empowering Women Physicians Group. Uh, and I did their uh, coaching program. And it was really clarifying for me because it really helped me focus again more on what I truly want with my life now that my life is different and I have freedom. So that what, what do I have time to do? And I don't think I ever was burnt out, but you know, that intensity of working twice the amount that I was working before, it really kind of let, let me feeling like there was no time for anything else. And now 
there's so much freedom. And so I, after the coaching program, I dabbled in all kinds of things and I still have hobbies and, and I, you know, started dating and that's kind of nice. Uh, and then I decided I could probably be a coach. And it was interesting because it was probably, the probably was really strong. It was not, not initially like, oh, I should really be this. And I thought, I looked into it and I'm like, okay, so there's a coaching program that would start in April. So I, I put my name on the waiting list for it. And, uh, and then in very end of December, I said, oh, we have a spot open in January. It came in my email. I'm like, all right, why not? So I signed like literally like about a week prior, I signed up for, uh, for this. And, uh, and then as soon as I, you know, paid for it, I was like, oh my goodness, what did I do? Um, am I like, is this a mistake? How can I even think that I could do this? You know, what do I know? <laughs> you know, all those thoughts come into your head and, and I'm like, okay, but I've paid for it. So I'm going for it. Yes. You know, it's so interesting, like, as I hear you talk and how you have, uh, you know, conducted yourself in your life, you know, you're an obvious coach too, just because I think that your thoughts are so clear um, and that the way that you direct yourself is so obvious. And, you know, I could definitely see you being able to translate your lived experience to other people and having them benefit makes perfect sense to me. Well, thank you. That's really nice of you to say, and, you know, I, I, I think it has helped me because the people that I coach now, I, I feel like I see some of the similarities from my life, not just from the coaching training and experience that I've ha- uh, gained, but it really does help to have had something similar. You know, I mean, in training, they always said you can coach anybody, but, and, and, and you're not putting yourself in their, in their place, but there's, it, there's this ease of being able to see, yes, there are answers to these problems and you can help people come up with the answers that work for them when you know you found answers yourself. Absolutely. And I think, you know, like we talked about earlier, like you had these thoughts that you held on to as a life raft and you can offer these thoughts to others so that you can be, help them be the life raft to themselves too. Because again, you know, it's not usually us doing it for them. It's offering something that they can then latch onto. What is next for you? What do you, where do you see this going? So I am starting an actual business, which is really funny because one of the reasons why I enjoyed going into medicine and surgery because it was not business because I always considered myself not to be a business person who says you can't learn new things when you are older uh, I mean how hard can it be right right it's, you know one step at a time and people are willing to help you when you ask for it and so so I am uh, starting a uh, small official coaching business and eventually my personal goal was to have a website up by the end of May, but I don't think it's going to happen, but I'm okay. Uh, you know, it will be maybe another month or so. I coach people that I've uh, gotten in touch with through different Facebook groups. And when I've just kind of mentioned, I coach people, they ask me and, and it's just enjoyable and I really like it. And what I really personally love about it is see, seeing and feeling the relief that people get when they, they are heard and when they realize that you have options in your life because you end up like truly like I had these thoughts in my head that there were no options. I just had to keep going as I was doing. But, and then it was getting almost too much. It wasn't too much, but you know, like there was not enough space for anything else. 
and that that it is okay to prioritize yourself and it is okay to have a hobby and to have a life and not just work and not always be available uh, to the patients. Uh, and so, so he, I think what helps is to hear that career is not the only thing. And, and truly that was one of the things because uh, like, like I had told you, like my husband and I, we always made plans for, Oh, our 20th wedding anniversary. We're going to do a trip to the Caribbean. Well, 20th anniversary was about coming. And then uh, we, we decide, Oh, we'll do it when it's our 25th. Well, 25th never came. And so, uh, so I just decided that again, not postponing things that I really want to do, which is also, you know, spending time with my friends um, doing things. And again, but I'm also not postponing my career. I've just pivoted into something that works for me. Yes. I love it. And I think that's really just, I love your experience of just saying, you know, I'm going to direct myself, but I'm also going to be open to the possibility of lots of different things and, you know, taking each experiment experience and working with it. Um, I thought it's also a really great lesson. It's like the, you don't have a fixed pathway, but you clearly have a direction. If that even makes sense, you know, it's clear you're going somewhere, but you're open to where you're going. And I think it's really cool. Yeah. It's kind of like those travels that, you know, ultimately, you start in, uh, you know, Minnesota and you end up in Florida, but uh, you may take a few side trips out on your route while you're driving. Yes. And I wanted to highlight something else that you said, and we talked about this before, is um, I think all of us sometimes feel the symptoms of burnout, but don't necessarily recognize it as much at the time. And, you know, I think that the more that we can help others see when you're on a path that is starting to feel unsustainable. And before you get to the point that it's unsustainable is the more we can kind of offer people options of like, are you considering yourself? Are you looking at the the big picture? What are some of the limitations that you're putting on yourself, which is a lot of times the hustle mentality um, is, and really being present for when you start to feel signs of distress rather than when we're screaming for distress. Uh, I thought that was a really great um, thing that you brought up too, is just starting to recognize I'm uh, feeling a little, little crispy around the edges. <laughs> exactly. And because I got to a point when every now and then I felt like I should be sleeping less so that I can get everything done. And then I realized how crazy is that? Yeah. And, you know, like I don't have guilt over sleeping any longer. <laughs> yes. And so, so it's just, but sometimes you just need to, you know, hit yourself in the head with a hammer, uh, but rather not. And so, so it's just, it, it is like giving permission. And that was, it was hard. And that's why it took me a few years, you know, and, and it would be nice if others don't have to go as many years of struggle or of maybe less satisfying life because life is fantastic when you get to do the things that you enjoy. And I mean, like every day is just fabulous. And of course, not everything's easy. Like this year, two of my children have been injured. I have one kid who just had surgery for a broken finger. And my, uh, my youngest daughter fell off a golf cart and busted her face and had to have a lot of procedures for that. And so, so not everything is perfect, but we know we can get through whatever life throws at us. Yes. You know, what a great message to leave people on is that, you know, life could be hard, but it can also be fabulous. <laughs> that that's what I really kind of aim for. And, 
you know, and the fabulous doesn't have to be, you know, oh, I'm, you know, living expensively somewhere. It's, it's finding the joy in the little things and finding the joy in the everyday. I try to radiate that. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Yes. Well, I can feel it over here. So whatever you're doing, make sure to dole it out as much as you can. <laughs> Working on it. Perfect. All right, Dr. Mahorn, thank you so much for uh, offering your wisdom. I think that there's so much that people can gather from just this episode alone and, and your example and, and how you've conducted your life. And so thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on in the Boss Business of Surgery series, then make sure to check out bosssurgery.com.